Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. I am sick and tired of coming on here and talking about losses where the Frogs had every chance to win, um, and I'm tired of talking about losses that didn't have to be. That's exactly what we're going to talk about tonight. TCU loses out there on, th- on Thursday night on the South Plains in Lubbock, 35-28. to 28. The, dro- the Frogs drop to 4-5. and five. Uh, Jeremy, I'm going to just drop a payload of controversial statements on you, and then you can go ahead and tell me where I am um, like a first-time poster. You tell me if this sounds like a new guy that just signed up on the board to unload. So you're free to disagree with me, but I want to get this out. This has been on my chest here since Thursday, so let me get it off here. The Frogs are 4-5. and five. In the previous 11 years, the Frogs would be 2-7. and seven. Because of the 14-team Big 12, we're not playing the the 10-team the round robin where the Frogs get nine, home, uh, nine games in the Big 12 where they play the entire conference. So you take out the wins against uh, Houston in BYU, and you put in Oklahoma State in Kansas, and the Frogs are 2-7. and seven. The Frogs only wins – the Frogs do not have a win this year over a team that was Power 5 last year. The only uh, wins they have are against teams that are G5 right now or were G5 last year. And so I want to argue that this is potentially the worst team that TCU has put on the field since 2004 when they went 5-6, and six, but there's an asterisk by it. They had two losses in double overtime – as well as a game in the last game of the season. I remember it. I was there for a variety of reasons. I remember that game. It was uh, the Frogs lost to Tulane in a, a field, by a field goal in a game that they had that they just couldn't make happen. So if it's not 20, 2004 where the Frogs went 5-6 and six and lost a couple of nail biters, then it's 1997 where the Frogs went 1-10. It's not 2013 because the Frogs uh, had all of those one-loss games, and everybody was projecting that they would bounce back and go 8-4, and 9-3. and three. Nobody projected they would finish in the top four. This is an atrocious, atrocious product. This was uh, an embarrassment in Lubbock in a game that they could have and should have won. And I have nothing – I have no more lipstick to put on this pig. Tell me where I'm wrong. <clears throat> I still think 2004 is the worst team Worse defensively. I mean, we've seen at least sides of them playing somewhat defense this year, and maybe not against great opponents, but they've they've shown signs. They've shown signs of being um, not good, but not bad on offense. I mean, forty four against BYU's not bad, and you know they they put up some points against SMU. But two thousand four was that the year they lost to Northwestern State? No, they lost to Northwestern State in two thousand and one. Uh, we opened with North, the, the real Northwestern. We opened with the real Northwestern. So, but let me tell you this: this I'm, man, I am I got nothing but chili peppers in my in my podcast tonight. What that if if we all you know the two thousand fourteen was bad, but two thousand five opens by going on the road and beating Adrian Peterson and Bob Stoops in Oklahoma, and the aside from that terrible loss at. Uh, SMU the week after the Frogs ran the table the rest of the of the season they beat Iowa State in the bowl game they beat BYU they beat Utah they ran the table in the Mountain West I, I there's nothing that tells me they're going to be able to do something comparable next year so I, I I agree to disagree with you but you you're you're probably right you're the level headed journalist I'm the hothead fan I t- tell me again why this isn't the worst team the Frogs have put out there I mean I I go back to I mean you can go back and look at any of those years between 2018 and 2021 and argue the same thing. Um, 
20, 2020, yeah, they, they go six and four COVID year. They're going to say that was a success, but I mean, I, I think you go back and look at that and you can pretty much say 2023, you could be taking a step back to that realm of TCU football, which I wouldn't argue with. Um, I mean, the numbers don't lie. Uh, the results certainly don't. One year after playing a national championship, you you are four and five, and you're uh, you know you're two and five, two and four, sorry, in Big Twelve play. A uh, year after going undefeated, so um, I don't think a lot of us, including you and I, uh, a lot of fans, a lot of other media people, I, I'm I just didn't take an account how much was lost from last year. I just, I just didn't. Um, I thought looking at the roster, looking at who they have coming back, I thought they would be pretty good. I mean, you and I both said they would be pretty good. And a lot of people agreed with us. Um, But it's, it's crazy to see the inconsistency from just whether it's people blaming the coaches, people blaming the, the, the players it's, there's enough blame to go all the way around. There certainly is. There's, it's it's crazy because one year after going to the national championship, you're already having threads about firing coaches and firing firing you know Joe Gillespie, firing Kendall Browse, firing Sonny Dykes for crying out loud. Um, that's how bad the season is. When you get into the and, fu- and Jeremiah Donati, some, yeah. <laughs> some jackass put that on the board. <laughs> when when you get when you get into those threads, you know it's you know it's a bad year um, because it's like. Some I don't know if you listened to the um, Dabo Sweeney thing. You know, everyone heard about it. The guy called in, doesn't understand. But dude, the the coach hit the nail on the head, man. I think sometimes the expectations outweigh what they should. Um, you know, anyone calling Dabo Sweeney and saying he's the wrong guy for Clemson, I mean, they need to get their head checked and. I'm not saying anyone needs to get their head checked because they don't think Joe Gillespie's the right guy or they don't think Kendall Browse is the right guy or they don't think Sonny Dykes is the right guy, but I will defend Sonny. I mean, I don't he the, the Gary Patterson apologists are gonna say, well, he took it took them to the national championship with his guys. Well, with his guys, they were five and seven the year before and what, four and eight the year before that, something I mean, something crazy. They weren't winning with those guys until there was a, a new change, but yeah, I, I'm going to disagree with you. I don't think this is the worst team um, since 2004. I, I, I still think 2004 is, is going to go down. And, that, and and quite honestly, I still think 2021 is worse. 2021 is by far the worst defense I've ever seen TCU have. That's just my opinion. And people can analyze. We can get all the numbers crunched. But you talk about giving up points, not knowing where they are. Just everything about that season just did not bode well for me. I I I, I do not like 2021, and I think if this team played 2021, this team would beat 2021. Well, that's a hot take right there because they had all those players that everybody goes on about that you know Sonny just took Gary's players and and, and what Gary would have done, which I love Gary. I'm, I just don't believe that would be true. Um, so, so here's, here's my frustration. I want to give you my metaphor and something, a statistic that is just proven to be true across the life of my fandom and the life of you covering the team. Um, 
when people say, you know, people dog on our preseason predictions and, you know, whatever, they can, they can do that from their cheap seats. Uh, what, what I will, what, what, what I was hoping would change, let me get my thought right. What I was hoping would change is that basically since TCU joined the Big 12, they have never had uh, an eight and four season. That's a metaphor as much as it is a statistic. You know, where they, they go to the Alamo Bowl or they go to the Texas Bowl and they go five and four in conference and they, you know, beat all their non-conference teams. That that there's this this average bouncing around the top 25 season. That is absent from TCU's uh, resume since they joined the Big 12. What they've done is they've gone 500 or worse or they finish in the top 10 or, or the top five. You know, you either have this magical run where you got 2014, 2015, 2017, 2023, or you have seasons like this where you're fighting for the Liberty Bowl or, you know, you uh, you get you have the Cheez-It Bowl. You know, those, those are games that uh, nobody's itching for, but we'll watch because we're degenerates. And so what I was hoping for with Dykes, and there's still a chance to do this. I'm, I'm still on the Dykes train with all that I have is I want to see TCU raise the floor to, to be Oklahoma State. I mean, look at what look at where Oklahoma State is. They they got pummeled in the transfer portal. They uh, clearly you know got, got out of the gate slow. You know you don't have a, an embarrassing loss like that to South Alabama um, in, in say that you're off to a hot hot start. And yet here they are in the driver's seat doing midseason corrections to, to 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 operate at the program that they are at, which is eight and four or better. Now I know they can have a bad year. They had a bad year last year. But that, that, that's the thing. Everybody knew it was a bad year. It wasn't just a boom or bust, which TCU has had. And so there's, there's a reason that floor has not been raised. And, you know, we talked about playing money ball at wide receiver at the beginning of the year. That's not done what we thought it was going to be. But that's not done what I thought it was going to be able to do. You're 100% right that people did not take into account, and it's not just us, you know, replacing all of these guys into the NFL. And I'm going to go with line of scrimmage as much as Quentin Johnston. I think the line of scrimmage, uh, and not just on the offensive line, even though there's a huge hole there, um, you know, I would give anything to have Dylan Horton rushing the passer right now. I would give anything for that. And then, the, you know, the, 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 the scheme issues on defense are, are above my pay grade. I'm not, if, if, if Gillespie gets let go, I'm okay with it. And honestly, if he comes back, I'm okay with it. There's just got to be a plan of how we can get more pressure on the quarterback because I just feel like that is absent. So take that all for what it's worth. Do you think I'm on target or off? No, you're on target. I, I mean, I think everyone, when they look at defense and they see the three three five, I know some people aren't big fans of it. I mean, I've, I'm friends with former players on Facebook, and they all just hate the three three five because – Though they're so entrenched in the four two five, and it's TCU fans and people that have covered the team for so long, they're the same way. They're so entrenched with the four two five. They get to the quarterback. There's pressure. I think the three three five can be an aggressive defense. I think Gillespie can be a little bit more aggressive. I think we can see more blitzes from the linebackers. Uh, and obviously, I think a lot of success from three three five is when you have good defensive ends. If you watch Kansas State, you watch Iowa State. Those defensive linemen. They play assignment football. They're they're good players, and I think that's what helps make them really really successful. But those that Kansas State defense, it's the same thing, but it's just a different aggressive style of defense. But uh, I don't know, man. It's it's um, I I I wouldn't personally like to see them change just because of what they've recruited the last few years, the personnel they've recruited. They've got some younger guys coming up on the defensive line. I think are going to be better. They're just they're just young right now. 
And I think the same way with, with the, uh, the safety group. I think we've got, uh, some talented guys that we're, we're all going to see, um, for TCU, uh, Fontenette, Jamel Johnson, those type guys, uh, are, are going to be really good players. Jordan Lester's a guy that really, you know, we didn't talk a whole lot about during the recruiting process, but he's gained good weight. And I've had a couple of times, I think Steven Johnson asked me, uh, what I don't remember what game we were at, but he's like, "Who the heck is 22? Like, oh, that's Jordan Lester. He's he's gained some good weight, but there's a lot of talent in the pipes, and I just don't think you completely go away from what you've recruited um, unless you're planning on going really heavy in the transfer portal. And um, this might be a viable option for a lot of these guys that are going to hit the portal because there's going to be a lot of playing time ready um, for them. Because uh, I'm going to tell you right now, there's. It, it the most disappointing thing about this whole defense is there were so many veterans coming back. There were so many guys that had played a lot of football that just aren't getting it done on a consistent basis. Yeah, we saw them play great against BYU. We saw them play great against Texas last year, but then we also see them give up fifty eight against Georgia. We also see them or sixty five against Georgia, and we also see them give up uh, forty one to Kansas State the other day, and we we see them give up thirty five to Texas Tech. I mean, it's just just a lot of inconsistencies right now. Well, let's begrudgingly get inside of this game that happened out there in Lubbock. Um, not a lot to celebrate, so let's go see some things that didn't quite work. TCU did outgain the Red Raiders 435 yards to 428. We, we, we were both right on predicting that the Frogs were going to be able to put up, put up some yards against um, Tech, and they did. But what you got to put that in context with is Morton comes out there, hadn't played in a couple weeks, and your word was he played nearly flawless. And then you contrast that to Hoover, who, who we all feel good about in the long haul, that we feel he has talent, but he, he looked like a redshirt freshman at times in that game. At times, he looked really solid. At times, he looked like a redshirt freshman. Two interceptions, two, two tough, tough interceptions, and uh, in, a, in one that would have been a third interception, but they had a roughing the passer call that uh, you know brought that back. So in a sense, he threw. I mean, on, on the spreadsheet he threw two, but in, in our eyes, we you know in, in the in the video room he threw three. Compared quarterback play because I feel like that was something that was that was a contrast that was on display Thursday night. Yeah, it's it's crazy because I, when I looked at Josh's stat line, and I I think he threw for three forty three or three fifty three something like that. But it didn't feel like he threw for that many yards. I mean, that's just because he, he threw fifty-two times. Yeah, but it's just like you know, against against uh, BYU, he throws for what four sixty-three, and it's like, oh man, it, that's a hundred-yard difference. Yeah, hundred yards is a hundred yards, but against BYU, he couldn't he couldn't throw an incompletion. I mean, we were just raving about it. So you would think a game throwing for that many yards, you throwing that many passes, but those two interceptions he had were crucial crucial interceptions one inter- the first one led uh to a touchdown and a two-point conversion for for tech and then obviously the last one ended any chance for them to tie the ball game i don't know if that was on Jalen. i don't know if that was on hoover but it was just a bad pass there was times where he dropped back to pass that throw to dj dj rogers for the first touchdown perfect pass i mean it was a bullet right over the middle but there were some other passes where he was throwing erratic he was airmailing guys he just wasn't he i don't know if he wasn't setting his feet um, he was getting pressure. Offensive line continues. The interior of the offensive line is so much worse. I'm sorry, parents are listening to this. Your kids are not Alan Ali and they're not Steve Avila. I'm sorry. There's a, or, or Wes Harris. <laughs> or Wes Harris. 
you're you Steve Avila. You can talk about Quentin Johnson. You can talk about Kendra Miller, Max Duggan. Steve Avila is the biggest loss on this offense. Plain and simple. That is my opinion. I'm going to take it to my grave. You're never going to change my opinion. Just like all you Trump and Biden people, you're never going to change my. You're never going to change my opinion. <laughs> I don't get into politics, and, uh, and you're not going to. That's cha- why I'm voting for Robert, I, Robert Kennedy. Jr. I'm, I'm, I'm voting for Steve Avila, President 2024. Um, but that no, I mean honestly, when I look at when I look at Josh, I, I look at him and I think, man, you can win some football games with him. And I really didn't like question Browse. I didn't think this game was, oh, the play calling was bad. I can't really recall any plays where I thought, oh man, he should have called something different. This is this is this. I really think a lot of it was was execution. I think the offensive line did a very poor job blocking uh, for Monty Bailey. I didn't think Monty Bailey was great. I was sitting there watching it, and I'm looking back at the game thread, and I see a couple people. Man, there's he's not cutting back. There's no vision, and I'm thinking, okay. Other people, I'm not, I'm not blind. You know, Monty Bailey is a king for the team this year. He is the MVP of this team. But even he's having issues where he's not seeing some things. So, but getting back to your question, I look at Josh and I think it, it, it was it was early. But I started to wonder. I see Chandler on the sidelines. Is man, I'm, is, is Chandler going to come in if he keeps if he keeps playing erratically? But he settled down. Yeah, he did have the two turnovers, but I still think this team can win football games with him. Baron Morton, I mean, part of that is on the TCU defense. They weren't getting a lot of pressure on him. They weren't they weren't flustering him, and the receivers were getting open. And he's got a lot more experience than than Josh Hoover. But a week, or he hasn't played in two weeks. He didn't play against BYU. They lost twenty seven fourteen to BYU. He didn't play in that game. But for a guy that didn't play in two weeks, for him to play the way he did, he threw for 278, two touchdowns, uh, no interceptions, threw a threw a great um, touchdown pass over Bud Clark. That was that drive right there was the the well, you probably got it on your notes, but we'll talk about that drive among other drives. The 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 three play 92 yard drive um, that they had uh, that was not good on Bud Clark. Um, get, get into that because that's what broke the back of the team. Yeah, I mean, I mean that 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 was a defining drive. I love, I you know, Bud's Bud's such a good kid, but he just he he hasn't played to the level he played at last year. And I'm not saying anything that's new. Sonny said it the other day. And anyone, I know people are going to dissect everything Sonny says because they're mad, and I and I understand that. But there is some accountability to be held, and I've and I've been on this podcast. Every week saying the same thing because I am one that is not going to place 100% of blame on coaching. I'm, I'm just not. There's got to be some sort of ownership and accountability for those players in executing. Texas Tech is down inside their own 10. They throw a little uh, quick pass. Bud takes a horrible angle and the guy ends up getting 39 yards. It should have been a four-yard gain. Then they come back, they throw a, a double post move on him. He runs a, a the guy runs a post and just completely burns Bud, and it and it it capitalizes a ninety two yard drive. That was a killer, man. That was that was a killer drive. You go up thirty five to twenty one. You're putting more pressure on your young quarterback to go down there and score. But that's that's the thing, man. It's just the the little the little things that happen. 
to this team that did not happen last year. There's just it's it's so uh, it's frustrating. That's the only word I can think of. It's frustrating to see some of these things that are happening now. Like Nook Bradford had an interception, went right through his hands. That's an interception last year for this team. For some reason, and I'm not saying last year was a lucky team because we got in a big debate about that last year with the board. Was last year luck? I think sometimes to win football games, especially when you go undefeated in conference play, you have to have a little bit of luck on your side. Not lucky bounces, but a little bit of luck. A little good karma, if you will. They don't have that this year. They don't have any of that this year. And it's just all culminating into a – Four and five season, a two and four Big 12 play, and you're frustrated because the offense can't score this week. Defense can't stop them the next week. They can't put a complete game together. The only complete game they have all year is against BYU, who we've all seen now is not a very good football team. You beat SMU. SMU is probably their best win on their schedule right now because SMU, I think, sits at seven and two. Just like Sonny said, they're probably going to win the rest of their games, but. Back to what I was saying earlier about Sonny. He's, he made a statement saying some of the players we thought were going to play good just aren't playing as good as we thought they would. And there's a long list, Jeff, of players that fit into that category. And a lot of them are on the defensive side of the ball. Would you agree? You know, I would agree with that. I would agree with that completely. So you you come back to – to execution, I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm with you on that. I, I want to make sure that I'm clear. I'm, I'm with you that you know there there is an element of execution that is simply not present. I want to go back to one of my favorite uh, quotes from one of my favorite TV shows, The Sopranos. You know, I know you all think I come on here to quote the Bible, but um, I've already cussed on this show. Uh, there's no Tony. Tony said to to somebody trying to leave the life. He said, there, there's no geographical solution to a spiritual problem. And I, I love that. You know, if I could just get a new job or move across town or go somewhere else or, you know, leave my wife or whatever, you know, you just throw it all in there. You think, I'll change everything around me, and I, and, but I don't change everything inside of me. All y'all calling for heads, and I'm, 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 I'm sympathetic to a change. I'm not advocating for one. None of that changes what you're describing. You know, there is, you know, we know what Bud Clark is capable of, and we're not on here dogging him, but we have seen with our own eyes what he does against the number two team in the country. And perhaps more importantly, we see what he can do um, in, in the open field to, to get a key interception against Baylor at the end of the first half down there on the road last year. We have seen what he's been able to do, and it's not there now. And he's got the same coaching staff he had last season. In theory, he, he's healthier, he's quicker, he's stronger. There is just a, uh, a mental component to execution that is not there. And you talk about luck, which people talk about luck like it means they're trying to rob you of uh, what you've earned. And I, I don't look at it that way. Um, you know what is often a byproduct of, you know, execution usually will create luck. You know, when you're executing, it, it tends to make you a little luckier. When you're in the right spot, maybe some better things happen. When you're focused in on your responsibility, you catch that wayward pass that hits you right in the numbers rather than hit, hitting you there and dropping down in, to the ground like you were talking about with Millard, Millard, Nook, Bradford. So I, <laughs> we haven't settled in on name yet. Jerry, you guys can't see it, but Jeremy is dying laughing. What, we'll just call him Mr. Bradford. How about, how about that? That sounds like a TV show from the 80s. Mr. Belvedere followed by Mr. Bradford. There is a lack of, of execution. So you change staff, you set us back in a variety of ways, but that doesn't change that uh, 
the execution is is just completely absent. So, uh, so I, I I want you to okay, go ahead. I I mean, just going on to that point, I'm there. There is some there is some responsibility from the coaches. More, more, more than I'm not absolving anybody. Yeah, more than more than some. They 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 hold most of the responsibility. But as as every single one of us that's that's talking, that's listening, we've we've gone through school. This is this is their second year in this system. You made an excellent point. This 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 is the same coaching staff. There's not a different safety coach. There's not a different linebacker coach. There's there's not a different different D line coach. There's not a different cornerback coach. These are all the same coaches. Okay, if I'm a, if I'm a student in the class and I take a test, Jeff, and I bomb it, I bomb it the first time. A teacher's that teacher. I'm going to go to that teacher. Can you help me understand some of this? And most of the time, when I retake that test, what's going to happen? I'm either dumb as a rock and I just can't get it, or I'm gonna I'm gonna be better. When that's what part of this problem was this year is like we we had so many high expectations for that defense because this is Joe Gillespie's second year here. You got seven guys coming back that know this defense. You know what's on the test, fellas. You know what's coming. I'm telling you what's coming. I'm telling you right now. And Gary used to take it in the shorts all the time. But Gary was right a lot of times. We just couldn't see it. Uh, you know, a lot of people that were, were past it, he, he, would, he would tell us, I tried to tell them this is what route they're going to run. They didn't listen. And fans would get pissed off at that because they would start blaming him. No, I'm telling you what's coming. Cover the damn slot. Cover the seam. Do this. And they're not doing that. So whose fault does it become? I get, I get, I get the point about, about the coaches. I get it. Coaches have to have responsibility. And if they're the ones that keep putting those guys out there that can't get the job done, that's 100% on them. I get it. I agree with all you guys. I promise. But there's execution that has to happen. When you guys are talking smack about guys in the game thread, Bud Clark gets burnt or someone, Mark Perry can't tackle Johnny You're not saying, dang, Joe Gillespie should have helped Johnny Hodges make that tackle. No, you're saying they got to make those plays. So you got to you got to honor that both the, the the issues for this team this year weighs on the coaches and weighs on the players. The players are not playing just like Sonny said. Some of the players that we thought were going to be playing good are not playing as good as they're supposed to. And some of the guys that we expected to play good because they're veterans, they're not playing near as good as we thought they should either. So there you go. Well, you and I have both um, been gifted to uh, raise some teenagers between us. And have you ever, uh, let's just say, have you ever told your child what they have to do or what they absolutely can't do? And you make it clear and you go over it in a non-anxious way and then you go over it in a very anxious way. And then they still go out and do the exact opposite of what you said. Um, or if you raised two kids and you taught them both the same thing and one went and went one way and one went and went the other. That's what co- – I, I always thought coaching is, 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 is as much parenting as anything else. And you can be a great parent and raise two kids and they head in different directions. And I'm not absor- – I mean, we got to be – we got to be self-reflective as parents. You know, am I doing it wrong? You know, the third time I told him not to do this. Oh, my daughter's an angel. My son's a devil. I mean, they, they're, they're, 
they're completely opposite. I always tell, I'm probably a bad parent for saying this. I always tell, I always tell Brody, Hey man, I wish for a second you put as much work into your academics as you do your athletics. Like your sister did. Cause your sister was a lot smarter than you, man. Come on now. No, I mean, I, I get it. You're, you're 100% right. There's, there's always going to be times where we tell our kids to do something. They're going to do this uh, exact opposite or they have brain farts. Like my son does. He sees a squirrel and he starts chasing after it. And I think <laughs> not saying players are seeing squirrels, but they're seeing something. They're seeing something that's not, they're, they're, they're getting confused with something. And again, that could be a schemes thing. It could be a scheme thing, but I know this defense does not harp. You know, I don't want to make this show into harping on the defense, but I know that's the hot topic right now. I know the defense can be good. I know it can be good. We saw that defense in Austin play exceptional, which is the whole reason why I've said this before. It's the whole reason I think TC even got into the playoffs last year was because of the level of play they had on both sides of the ball, or especially defensive side of the ball against Texas when they were an underdog, even though they were ranked way higher. And they finally proved to the committee, hey, we could play defense against a really good football team that's a top 20 team and play them on the road and and win and hold them to basically nothing. So that's what gives me hope. I I just don't know, man. Um, I think four and eight, if you go four and eight, there's probably going to be some kind of changes. Now I'm not on here. Don't give the breaking alert, Daniel. Don't 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 give us the sounder or nothing like that. I'm not breaking any news, but I, I think Sonny's the type of guy just talking with people. He's going to evaluate if there he feels like there's going to have to be a change somewhere. Then I, I really feel that he's a guy that's going to make a change. Well, let's go to some more issues that should just drag us down and get us all worked up. You know, we've, we've dogged on the defense, um, even though we started talking about the quarterbacks there. You know, you you talked about, you know, people commenting on Imani Bailey. Oh, he's got to cut back. My 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 observation from this game especially was I, I didn't feel like his vision was fully engaged. Maybe that's not where he's at his best. Maybe that's something that he's got to grow into. But there were numerous times. You can say cut back. You can say you know, hit to the outside. You can say, all right, you got to break the line of scrimmage. And then when you get to the second level, you got to find an angle. You know, the frogs only rushed for 82 yards. That is, that is bad. Let's that's, there's no sugarcoating this in Amani Bailey only ran for 57. And so that's his second straight week of just our second straight game of just not putting up any numbers after he'd had what we all thought was on his way to a 13, 14, 1500 uh, yard season. And so I, I saw that, you know, his vision was lacking and, uh, you know, you, you, I'm 100% with you on the interior of the offensive line is the biggest hole on this team. Uh, absent, I mean, the only thing I would compare to it is Quentin Johnson because of what he was able to open up for everybody else. And then you said that in contrast to, to Brooks, who just ran over us all day long. There, there was one moment where, where he just kind of did whatever he wanted. We were going to talk about that. There's a third and 21 and he picks up 20 yards, and people were complaining about the illegal participation and you know the the trading players in and out for short yardage. It, it, it shouldn't have mattered. They shouldn't be giving up 20 yards on third and 21 and letting Brooks just kind of do whatever he wanted. Bailey had a rough game, which is a, uh, made possible by an offensive line that had a tough game. And then I feel like that the 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 tech O line was able to just not do everything they wanted, but they were able to establish the game that they wanted up front. 
and Brooks was able to to outshine Bailey, which I don't think any of us thought was possible, say, three or four weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, first off about Bailey, you know, again, I've made no secret. I think he's the MVP of the team this year. He's He's been the most consistent bright spot, I could say. What I like about Imani, and I said this a long time ago, the guy gets positive yards, but there's also a flaw in that. He hits the holes a thousand miles per hour. And for some running backs, running backs have to have what, Jeff? They have to have patience sometimes. They have and vision. And vision. Vision comes from that patience. And and sometimes I think he takes some of those plays away by how fast he hits the lane. And sometimes he's running so fast he's running up the back of an offensive lineman. And <laughs> you're just not going to get anywhere. And and that, that goes against the offensive line, too. You shouldn't be getting stood up like that. But I I still think Imani is a top five running back in the Big 12. But I do think he struggled the other night. I I, I think in a in a head to head battle where you had two of the top four running backs in the in in the conference, statistically speaking, Taj Brooks looked like the better running back. He lowered his head. He had better vision. He's not near as quick as Amani, but that didn't matter. It, and that's that's a that's a perfect example of a guy being patient, using his weight. He's obviously bigger than Amani, but. Um, I was re- real impressed with Taj Brooks. Taj Brooks, another guy that really liked TCU. Um, I mean, I think they offered him, but I don't think he they ever really heavily pursued him after they offered him. I don't th- I don't think they really had him extremely high on the list. Really good dad too. I, I enjoyed talking to his dad when he was getting recruited. But third and twenty one, third and twenty one. That was the worst defensive play I think I've ever seen. For TCU, the lane was so wide open. He just ran up it. But what frustrated me the most is you had a line of about four or five guys. Instead of trying to run up and get Brooks, they were waiting for him, Jeff. They were waiting for him. It's like they had this invisible wall that they were told, don't run up past this wall, just wait. And he's sitting there like making moves and stuff and trying and, and, the TCU defense is just kind of standing there with no movement at all. I'm just like, this sucker's going to run right past him. And he almost did. He almost did. I mean, I can't remember who made the tackle, but you turn you turn that situation at third, third and 21, you get 20. They didn't sub. So TCU tries to sub, which I don't know why. They try to sub, and they get caught with 12 guys on the field. Give it to Joey McGuire. I mean, he may be an idiot, but he caught TC with their shorts down by their ankles on that play. He really did. And that's a that's a drive, that's a play that led to a touchdown. They had a third and 21. You're ready to get off the field. You're going to get pretty decent field position. And you give up a first down, and you end up giving up a touchdown. There's there's no excuse for that. There is absolutely no excuse. I don't know what if, if that was a prevent defense. I, I don't know. I didn't like the defensive call, and I dang sure didn't like the way the players were trying to pursue Brooks. I haven't rewatched that play because it would just like it, it's just 
if you want to get pissed off, go watch the play. If you just want to get in a bad mood and go kick your cat or your dog, go watch that play. We are, we are not, not. We are not promoting animal violence. On this show. <laughs> Sorry, Peta. Um, but honestly, that was, that's the epitome of this season. That is it. That is it. That is exactly how this season has gone. That play in a nutshell is your 2023 TCU football season. Well, let's stay on the positive notes. Uh, man, Griff, Griff and Kel. Let's go back to some uh, principles we operated with before. Same special teams coach. Same kicker that's got ice in his veins that goes and hits the game, uh, winning field goal down there in in Waco. Had a lot of had a lot of big kicks last year. He, I mean, he's just got the yips or the shanks or what you know. He needs to go. We've said this before. He needs to just go watch Ten Cup and see how he can get the shanks. You know, get that. I know. I heard he died. The big guy in Ten Cup that always wore the t- he wore a TCU shirt. A friend of mine went to college with him. He's from out west. And he he always wore TCU paraphernalia in in whatever movie he was in if he was playing a Texas good old boy. We need Griff to go out there and just uh, swing it, swing those clubs with Cheech, because he's he, poor guy's got the yips. And we talk about when one thing starts to break, everything start, feels like it, it has the potential to fall apart, and that's the struggle that I feel right now. You know, it's it's trickling down to blown coverage to third and twenty one to the kicking game. To uh, you know, not not having vision to break out, I just feel like it's eking out. It's like water that is just slowly dripping and consuming and, touch- and damaging everything it touches. But it's just a rough year for Griffin, and I feel like this game was you know you talk about third and twenty one is the snapshot of twenty twenty three. I feel like uh, one if that's one a one b is the Griffin Kell kicking game because it's not what it should be. What what do you attribute that to? <laughs> the yips. Just like you said, man. I mean, you had you had your your returning deep snapper, you had your returning holder, and your returning kicker. I mean, all three of those guys were all Big Twelve caliber guys. I mean, you have uh, Griffin Kell was, you know, preseason all Big Twelve, and I think he was Big Twelve kicker of the year last year. So, <clears throat> you're asking me. I wish I was a psychologist so I could tell you. Um, I don't. I don't even think a psychologist could tell you right now, though. What's what's going on? Again, <laughs> we keep going back to it. We're going to go back to it this whole season. It it's the it's the craziest thing ever. Thing you know, areas where you thought you were going to be good at, you're not. It's a, it's the same players, like you said, same players, same coach. You're great last year, phenomenal. This year. A 43-yarder to Griffin Kells like kicking a 20-yarder. Dude can nail him in his sleep. I've seen that dude nail 65-yarders at practice with these, hit the dang tower behind the goalposts. I don't know what's up. I, I, I really don't know. It's Kicker is the weirdest position to try to analyze because you don't ever know what's going on in their head. And I will never, I will never know what's going on in, in Griffin's head. I know that uh, – He's he's still a he's still a great kicker, um, and I still feel like he can win a ball game for TCU. But just another thing that's not very good right now, Jeff. 
Well, there's plenty of those things. Plenty of things that just aren't well. So are there any bright spots? You got you got anything that, that gives you confidence coming out of this game? Um, I feel like we had some decent moments on offense. Uh, you know, you can complain about this play or that play. I felt like they called a decent game. I still feel troubled that we can't, you know, our explosive plays are, are way down. And I don't feel like Hoover can throw. We, we have not connected a ball down the sideline in a good while. Um, you know, Hoover's pretty, you know, you talked about that pass to DJ Rogers. That was a great pass. We can't connect deep down the sideline, but here I am trying to talk about the highlights and all I'm talking about is what we can't do. Anything positive coming out of this? Yeah. You didn't have as many receivers rotating in and out. (laughs) So that's good. You had a little bit more consistency there. Uh, I, you're right, man. There it's, it's crazy to look at their stat line because you'll, you'll see like five catches for 60 yards. Seven catches for 68 yards. No one's really averaging a lot of yards per catch. It's it's short yard. <clears throat> excuse me. It's short yardage. I'm getting so choked up talking about the receivers, Jeff. Um, it's it's just crazy. But I, I think call me crazy, but I, I I like the way Savion's played the last few weeks. I like the way. Jalen stepped in for Dalen Wright. I don't know what Dalen Wright's status is. I'm pretty sure Warren Thompson's done. Um, I, we didn't see him there. I had it on the injury report. I don't expect to see him against Texas or Baylor, maybe OU, but that's a tough one. But, uh, Besh, I don't know when Besh is going to be back either, but I, I, I thought, I thought getting Jared Wiley involved early on was a bright spot. And obviously Rogers was a bright spot. I think, I liked I liked seeing a guy like like uh, Blake Knoll getting two good catches on that final drive right before Josh threw the interception. Josh is Josh to me is still I'm not writing him off. I mean he's thrown for you know two of his three starts he's thrown for over 340 yards so that's not that's not bad. But there's not a whole lot of bright spots there. There's just there's just not. Well, we got to manufacture our hope and our confidence somewhere. What I know is the Frogs have owned the Longhorns since they joined the Big 12. Um, obviously, last year going down there to Austin, that was a signature win. You know, TCU has had some some bad teams that have been able to beat Texas, but we've never we have not played a Texas team that's been this good. There's there's no Texas team that TCU has played that has been this good. So they stole a game from Kansas State. You gotta you gotta steal a game in overtime to to get to the Big Twelve title game and make the playoffs. TCU fans know that. We we were in that spot last year with Oklahoma State. We were in some nail biters. They stole that game from Kansas State. I felt so bad. I was pulling for the I was pulling for the Wildcats even after the Big 12 title game last year, even what they did to us two weeks ago. So we'll see what happens under the lights. 6.30 ABC. I hope the Frogs uh, put up a great fight on national television. You know, I, the Walmart in, in White Settlement is just going to be flooded with T-shirt fans. You know how delighted they're going to be. And you say what you want, which we will freely, to mock the University of Texas on this podcast um, in, for all, in perpetuity. But they got the best win in the country right now. They've got a win over a one-loss Alabama that's put everything together. And I, if I had to pick today between Alabama and Georgia on a neutral field and, I don't know, say the SEC title game, I'm going with Alabama and Texas beat them. That's who's coming to Fort Worth on Friday night. You got any thoughts for the game going in against uh, Sark? It could be a long day. 
It could be a long day. That defensive line of theirs. They're incredible. I mean, <clears throat> I watched that Texas K-State game, and I – when I watched that last play, when I saw Kleiman go for it instead of kicking the tying field goal, which I don't I don't argue with the call. You got you got to take the games on the road, Jeff. I think it's the right call. Um, but gosh dang, his offensive line got blasted by those guys. To the right guard and the right tackle, just absolutely, they gave Will Howard one point two seconds to get rid of the ball. Um, but they, uh, it's it's crazy to me how good they are. Um, they're loaded at every position. There's not a there's not a weak position on that on that field. Everyone thought, oh, Quinn Ewers is out. Malik Murphy. Malik Murphy's shown that he's a great quarterback. He can he can throw the football. And even when I talked to guys at Big Twelve Media Days, everyone said Malik Murphy's the guy that the locker room loves. He's a guy that if Quinn Ewers goes down, watch out because he may take over and not give the reins back. Kind of like what Josh and and Chandler kind of their whole thing, but. <clears throat> They're great at receiver. Mitchell, he scored against TCU last year in the championship game. He's awesome. Xavier Worthy's awesome. Whittington's a good receiver. Jatavian Sanders is a great tight end. I, I you know, don't know how they're going to cover that guy. Their running backs are good. Their offensive line is big, strong, young. That offensive line is going to be around for a while. Their defense is fly to the football they don't have a weak spot. Like you said, defensive line. People are going to be crying themselves to sleep all week this week trying to figure out how the interior is going to block Byron Murphy. I mean, that guy's a stinking steamroller. And there's going to be revenge on their mind, man. That win last year embarrassed the hell out of them. At home, in front of college game day, they were so pumped for that game all week leading up to Saturday. And TCU just came down and completely embarrassed them. Embarrassed them. That's going to be weighing on their mind. They're they're a team that can get it done. They kind of remind me of a more athletic TCU team last year. They they have everything in front of them. They've got, like you said, the best win out of anyone. They've got they've got a win on the road by ten. To a seven and one team right now, or is or are they eight and one now? Is Alabama eight and one or seven and one? They're eight and one. Yeah. everybody's got three games. Yeah, they, and they just they just beat LSU by two touchdowns last night. So it's you know Texas has Texas is playing for a lot right now. Um, they're the best team in the Big Twelve. I thought Kansas State was going to give them a run for their money, and they did. But there for a while, they were making Kansas State look silly. Wasn't it like seventeen to nothing at one point or? Yeah, they so, jumped out. Yeah. Big. So it when I look at how TCU played Kansas State, now I know you can't do this game. You can't say, well, this team beat this team by this much and TCU beat them. You can't do all that. It's different every Saturday. But when I look at how Kansas State just completely dominated TCU, especially running the football, and then they're having difficulties running the football against Texas. And Kansas State doesn't use Avery Johnson against Texas that much because they know it's a lot better defense against TCU. He could go out there and run whatever the hell he wanted to run. Um, but I, I I just don't see a lot of bright things this Saturday. I mean, we could very well be looking at 2015 flipped. 
You know what I mean? It could be this game could be fourteen to nothing in a in a in about four minutes. That's that's kind of what I'm seeing right now. Um, there's going to be a lot of burnt orange. There's probably going to be thirty to forty percent burnt orange in the stadium because they're good now. Now they know they're making a run to the playoffs. They're going to be ranked fifth or sixth again, and it's. I don't know how bad that OU loss is going to be to them now since OU lost to Kansas last week, and now OU has two losses under their belt. But Texas is Texas is still a good team, and I I don't see it being good for TCU at all. Well, I'm predicting uh, a great effort from both teams. How's that? That's <laughs> I have no clue what's going to happen. Just, I think it could it it has a potential to be ugly. We have to say that. Just like someone said the other day, I just hope both teams have fun. It's the friends we make along the way. That's what it's really about. I just want both teams to have fun. And in the end, it's about character. It's not so much about, you know, wins or losses. It's about character. And I hope everybody I hope everybody gets a trophy for playing. I hope they do. I hope everybody just gets a medal and that they shake hands. You know what I'd really like? I would like I would like us to win and then like get in a fight. And like seven of their players get suspended or something like that. That 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 would be my ideal outcome. Oh, you want Memphis? You want two thousand Memphis? Was that two thousand two? It was two thousand two Memphis. Okay. Yes, yeah. that was insane. I was in the end zone when that melee was happening. <laughs> Helmets getting taken off, used. TCU has two reasons to win this game. They want to keep their bro hopes alive. And they want to ruin any chance for Texas making the playoffs. That's their two reasons to win. I know another team that had one loss and a clear path to the playoff, a clear path to the conference title game, that came into TCU after they'd had an awful season and uh, they were fighting for their for their fifth win. And that would be Baylor 2021. And that none of us were predicting that. Baylor was a better team that year by far. It wasn't even close. Um, went on to win the Big 12, won the Sugar Bowl against Ole Miss. So I, you never know what can happen. That's why they play the game. And, you know, I would love to ruin Texas's season. I would just absolutely love to ruin Texas season. That would, that would be the highlight of, of the year if we could do it. That would actually be the most poetic for all of these big wins that TCU has had, especially, you know, when they're fighting for the playoff, fighting for a top finish, fighting for a spot in the conference title game. If they, if they were able to beat Texas and it just knocked them out of, of the, of, of all playoff hopes, that would be, that would be amazing. I, w- I would hang a banner for that one. I'd go pure Aggie and hang a ba- hang a banner for that one. So, Speak, speaking of Aggie, they're they're not they're not doing too hot, are they? Man, we got to let's just let's just close out by dogging on a couple teams. We got the Aggies that are fighting for bowl eligibility. They got beat by Old Miss. Um, how about those Oklahoma Sooners? Um, that Sooner Magic, uh, man, they reached inside that top hat and they pulled out a cactus. There's nothing in, Su- in Sooner Magic right now. They lost in Bedlam. I have never pulled for Oklahoma State as hard as I have in my life as I did on Saturday. I love it for Gundy. I, I love the, the, the bullcrap no call on Drake Stoops in the end zone for that should have been DPI. I, I, I'm good with all of it. I, I love watching Oklahoma State win. You know what changed for Oklahoma State? Ollie Gordon, that's. They even talked about it against South Alabama. He had five carries 
and now he what leads the nation in rushing. I mean that that dude's been good. I want to I want to bring up. We always talk about midseason changes, coaches changing, and guys getting stuff taken away. Their play calling duties. Did you see Oregon State and Colorado? Did you hear about Did you hear about Dion taking the play calling duties away from Sean Lewis and giving them to the other guy? Yes, did, I did. Oh, we make that big change, and guess what? It didn't do jack squat. Did you? Yeah. Well, the, then the the final score was twenty six nineteen, but at one point in that game, Oregon State in the first half, Colorado had just over sixty yards of offense. They were shut out. They had. They were losing in the fourth quarter, twenty six to five. So not all sudden changes are great, fellas. I know we 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 get frustrated, and you want to see a different person, but it's not always successful. Now, I would I would wonder how much Dion is happy about. Let me just use my phone here for a second. Bear with me here, Jeff. I I wonder how I wonder how much Dion likes the fact that after a week after losing to UCLA he only scores three more points after changing coordinators and a lot of those 14 of those points came up in 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 mop up duty Is this the same Sean Lewis that in week three everybody was talking about what power five job is he going to take? You know, that he's he's just revolutionized the offense. He's gone out there and just – he's a trendsetter. He's a trailblazer. And now he, he's already been demoted. I bet I bet he loves that. I, I bet Dion loves that. I bet Sean Lewis loves that. I bet he loves being publicly humiliated um, by Dion Sanders. So, you know, you, you got to be careful what you hope for and you got to be uh, – I, I, I'm not sure about in-season changes. Although, did you see Alex Grinch got fired? The defensive coordinator at USC, Alex Grinch got fired. He should have been fired. I mean, people have been calling for his head for years, <laughs> even when he was at OU. Why in the world did, did Riley take him with him to USC? He should have left him at the airport in Norman. There's, He's probably got some hidden pictures or something. Who knows? That's, that's, that's what, what, that's, whatever, that's what everyone's excuses. Why certain coaches keep coaches on their staff. They got pictures of them. They got we, they got we, some we, damning information on them. We, talk, we talked about that for years on this show. <laughs> we will not name names. But how does blank blank still have a job and his buddies still have a job? So, oh, but it was a great weekend for college football because you know the frogs weren't playing on Saturday, so I just I just watched football from eleven to eleven. That's a great day. I didn't have any of my anxiety and angst all you know running over with, with my entire emotional well being and identity tied to whether TCU can win or not. So it, it was a good day for college football. It was. Uh, I know people talk about the sport changing, and it is. But man, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun games. I watched. Uh, I watched the Memphis game. I, I guess I should probably should have gone, but. 59 to 50. I had a friend of mine text me from the church and say, you know, Memphis might need scores. No, he said, yeah, he said Memphis might score 70 points. And I said, well, they might need 70 points because that was just a shootout of all shootouts. 109 points scored in that game. Hot dang. That was a lot of fun. I was flipping back and forth to that on ESPN. Yeah, those are the kind of games that make you frustrating. Frustrated because you're, if you score. 
My theory is if you score anywhere above 35 points, your offense scores 35 and above, you should win the football game. If your defense gives up that many, it's all on your defense. I don't I don't care what happens from that point on. That 35 point is the threshold for me. Once you hit that and go be above that, it's no longer on your offense. It's on your defense. Just like just like 2014 Baylor. That's right. That is right. Why did why the hell did you have to bring that up, man? You know what? I think that's a great note to end on. That's a great summary of our season. Folks, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. If you haven't yet, give us a rating and review on your Apple, I mean on Apple Podcast or in your podcasting app of choice. And of course, hornfrogblitz.com is where you can find other cathartic ways to unload all of your angst and bitterness and, and self-worth of TCU football. If you haven't yet signed up, Hornfrog Blitz, it's as fun in season as it is out of season. When the season starts to wrap up, which will probably be about three weeks from now, we'll be loaded up with recruiting as we head towards National Signing Day and all that comes with that. There's always fun. There's always drama. There's always flips. There's always seeker commits. you got to be inside so that you can know who the guys are that are going to be in the field over the next couple of years. So until we get together again, hopefully next Sunday night, to talk about the Frogs win over the Horn Frogs. I mean, the, the Frogs win over the Longhorns. For Daniel Southern, for Jeremy Clark, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Frogcast.